Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we actually came up to the church on an evening edition here today of Prodigal and the Priest and me. Um, our question edition of the podcast, and we have a special guest with us today, um, and that's Jack McCaffrey. Wait, McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Okay, I, I saw McCaffrey, and I was maybe I'm in football mode still from the school. Yeah, he's still thinking Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, um, Jack, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, wait, wait, wait. We can't hear you, Jack. I muted you. Keep go again. All right, go good. All right, can you hear me now? It's a very warm welcome. We're going to keep you muted, but thank you. Nice to see you. Glad to be here. Thank y'all for having me on. Yeah, we're very excited. You are going to solve something that one of our. Well, let me back up. I know you're kind of newer to the show, and so we take questions on the podcast and field a bunch of different questions. And very on, we had a question about the Byzantine liturgy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Father Paul said early on, I have a friend. I think he'd be great to answer this. We'll get back to this. And now it's been about six months of course. Yeah, six to eight months. Have, yeah, 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 yeah. So we really wanted to be thorough, even though the person said it doesn't have to be an in-depth answer. You know, I just want a little bit. And so yeah. um, you know, we brought you on. As Father Paul okay. said, you're the Byzantine expert. He has All right. put you as so. Um, we're excited to hear from you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you know Father Paul, all of that. And sure. then um, Father Paul is going to intro uh, a little bit more. Sure. Um, so Father Paul is my brother-in-law's cousin. Um, well, it's my, so my wife's sister um, is married to uh, his cousin. Got and uh, he, his, uh, he baptized my, my goddaughter. So they're uh, Will and Amanda, that's who I'm referring to. Um, their, uh, their daughter's my, uh, goddaughter and father Paul, uh, I guess I've met, I've known him, uh, from the wedding, from just, I guess, from all the different family events. And, um, we've, we've always had a good time talking. I grew up in the Byzantine, uh, Catholic tradition of, mm. of the church. And so I know father Paul's studied a lot of Eastern church fathers and biblical, uh, scholars and things. And so we've always had a lot to talk about, um, in regards to that. So, um, I feel very honored to be considered the the expert. Um, you, you are yeah. the expert. Yes, absolutely. Now I have to ask before we get into the real questions because sure. we did a whole episode on baptism. Sure. Was it a valid baptism, or did he say we baptize you, or did it he was, say it was I, very valid? Okay. Very valid. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yes, you know, very I, valid. I ha- more valid than, than that. <laughs> I had to check it. I had to check it. it. So, um, Father Paul, you want to say a few things too to enter this? Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's great to find you finally have you on, uh, Jack. And I really have enjoyed talking with you about liturgy, but it always feels like it's just we never have enough time to talk about it. <laughs> and so hopefully this will be more time. It still won't feel like enough time. Um, I wanted to just lay a little groundwork before we even ask the question. This question that we've built up so much um, over these like six months. Um, and just give some context, because I know that uh, for people who have grown up in the Latin liturgy of the Roman mm-hmm. Catholic Church, 
um, they, especially if they've grown up in the States, um, sort of the, the Eastern Catholic churches can be very confusing with the different liturgies and, and things. And so, sure. um, so the way I would explain it is, uh, just first terminology, like, uh, Jack is a member of the, well, you grew up as a Ruthenian Catholic mm-hmm. and you currently attend and are involved in a Melkite Catholic church. Yes. Um, both of those make use of the Byzantine rite. Uh, and Jack, feel free to correct me if I get anything wrong. No, um, you're, you're on point so far. And so the Byzantine rite is a liturgy. It's a, it's a form of liturgical tradition that developed in um, the Byzantine Empire. And particularly, I think it has its origins in Antioch, actually. But mm-hmm. um, it really takes shape in Constantinople, which was also called Byzantium. That's mm-hmm. where you get the name. And so, and that's relative to Rome anyway, that's in the east. That's in like where Turkey is, Istanbul. Um, And so you have the Roman liturgy, which grew up in Rome and was, you know, in different ways, looks different in different periods, but is essentially the same liturgy celebrated throughout the ages in Rome. That's the liturgy or the the rite, the Latin rite that we use in, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, where most of our... Uh, listeners are going to be familiar, but there are many other liturgical rites. I think there's six or seven of them, uh, but the most mm-hmm. common outside of the Latin rite is the Byzantine rite. And Absolutely. there are several different Eastern churches. Uh, the Melkite church, which you attend right now, I think that church is a is a Middle Eastern origin, yes. right? It's the Patriarchate of Antioch. Okay. Um, the, Gre- the Greek Patriarchate of Antioch. Right. And then tell us just a one-sentence thing about the Ruthenian church. So the Ruthenian church um, is a self-governing church that comes out of Eastern Europe um, in the mm. Carpathian region. Um, but it actually, there's, it's in the United States, it's, it's one of the bigger um, churches that uses the, uh, the Byzantine rite. And it has a, uh, there's a metropolitan archbishop in Pittsburgh who's kind of like the head of our church. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, when I say self-governing, the, the canon law term is sui juris, um, right. which means in its own right. So these churches kind of enjoy their own autonomy for the most part. They kind of run themselves. And the way that we know that we're Catholic is that um, we're in communion with each other. We can go to each other's churches and receive right. communion. And um, our hierarchs, our, our, our bishops, um, will can celebrate liturgies together, whether that be a Roman Catholic mass or um, a, a Eastern Catholic divine liturgy. Right. I actually met that, I forget his name, but that bishop you mentioned from Pittsburgh, or who's in Pittsburgh. Um, um, that would be uh, Metropolitan William, perhaps? William, maybe. I, th- I think it might have been him. I, I definitely met a Ruthenian Metropolitan. Got it. Um, he came to the North American College and was having lunch there, and I sat at his table. Oh, awesome. I remember he was really nice, but um, yeah, like we're definitely, <laughs> that, that's, that's just a, like an extended example of, of the communion between East and yeah. West. Um, and, and Jack, what do you do for your day job? So I'm a teacher. Yeah, I'm a teacher. What do you, what do you teach? I teach uh, Spanish, actually. I'm a, I'm a Spanish teacher. <laughs> nice. So how many um, languages do you know? Uh, I, I would say I, I'm fluent in two languages, but I, I'm familiar enough with, um, uh, at our church, we're, we're oftentimes singing in, in Greek and 
sometimes even Arabic because we do have a, a mm-hmm. Middle Eastern connection there. Um, so you could give Father Paul a run for his money. Uh, I don't know. With Spanish for sure, but I don't know. He's got he's got <laughs> a few other under his belt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, do you want to hear the question? I don't know if Father yeah, Paul no, shared I, it with you, but I, I would he, love to. Yeah, absolutely. He mentioned it. I would love to hear the, the fullness of the question there, and, and then I'll, I'll speak to it as best I can. Okay, great. Okay, I'm going to pull up our question things here. And this comes from a woman by the name of Patty. And Patty said, can you give a simple explanation? Notice it took us eight months for a simple explanation. But yes, um, about the similarities and the differences between the Latin rite and the Byzantine rite, both part of the Catholic Church, question mark. I am Ukrainian Catholic, which is part of the Byzantine rite. My mother and her family fled from Ukraine. They spent four plus years in displaced persons, refugee camps, and finally made it to America in 1949. Um, God provided hugely. In the US, they're able to continue practicing their Ukraine faith, um, which they pass down to their children and grandchildren. I find that many Roman Catholics aren't aware that there are Byzantine rites even exists and that it's under the Pope. So the main question, she gives some backstory about their personal life, but the main question there is, can you give some of the similarities and differences between the Latin Rite and Byzantine Rite? Absolutely. I, I'm going to start with the similarities because I think that's, um, I think there's there's so many. Um, a lot of times when we walk into a different church, we, we see the external things, we see the differences, and we make note of those, but there's so many, di- there's so many similarities, and that's really what one of the things that I think really brings us together. Um, y'all are doing this series on the, on the Mass, right? I've kind of been listening mm. to that. Yeah. Um, so I know that you guys talked about the, the uh, Liturgy of the Word and then the Liturgy of the Eucharist, and our, our liturgy is divided into the, those same parts. So we have a Liturgy of the Word. We open up, um, in fact, the first uh, few parts of the Liturgy of the Word is just us singing psalms. We call them antiphons. Um, and we just, we just sing Psalms, uh, and some of them depend, you know, might change depending on the, uh, the time of year or what we're, what we're, what we're celebrating. Uh, but most of them are pretty standard, especially for Sundays. And from there, we kind of move into, uh, the Perkimenon, which is like your, uh, your responsorial Psalm is what we call it. And then we have an epistle, a gospel. Um, we have the, the, the priest comes out, he preaches, it could be a deacon as well. Um, and, uh, from there we have the liturgy of the Eucharist. And um, that's those the, that basic breakdown is is very similar, um, and then from there, um, you know there are, there are differences that you would see. I want to make sure that I'm not overlooking any of the other um, similarities, but but the the basic structure is the same. Yeah, it um, it really is. I I have a question. Um, sure. The anaphons that you sing at the beginning, you said several anaphons, right? Mm-hmm. You're singing psalms. Um, and then after that, you have the Perkimenon, and mm-hmm. then you have the Epistle and the the Gospel, and and so like that part really looks like the Liturgy of the Word. Absolutely, uh, the Anaphons in that structure would correspond to where we have the Penitential Rite in the Latin Liturgy. Is there mm-hmm. a sort of preparatory or, uh, like yes. kind of that kind of role to those? Um, so before the Anaphons, uh, I should mention we have we have a series of litanies. And so I, the litanies are kind of like um, usually the deacon, if you have a deacon there, if not, mm-hmm. it's a priest. But 
um, asking for different, it's kind of petitionary prayers and a lot of them are uh, very much preparatory um, asking, um, you know, for the, the for unity in the faith, for the people to, um, you know, move their hearts towards God. We, we pray for every, everyone basically that has authority over us, um, mm-hmm. whether that be civil authorities or uh, church authorities. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go through these like petitionary prayers uh, leading up to those anaphons. It's like the first thing, um, the, the liturgy starts with the priest says, blesses the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we go to those litanies. And then from there, the, the antiphons that are those psalms uh, leading up to the actual readings themselves. Mm. Okay. That's Great. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I cut you off before you got to the differences. I'm not even sure if you were done with no, the no. similarities. Um, well, I was just trying to, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly glad you did that. And please feel free, either of you guys, to just jump in there and ask me a question. Um, so from from there, uh, I would say that the one of the big differences is kind of like where we place the creed. Um, I know that like the creed is usually said um, at the end of the liturgy of the word in the um, in the in the Roman Catholic Mass. Is that correct? In the Latin rite. Yes. And it's kind of like this pinnacle moment of that particular piece of the liturgy. Yeah. And the um, in the Byzantine liturgy, we're going to say the creed. Um, before, right, kind of closer to before we receive communion. Um, mm. It's kind of a, we kind of use it as a, um, the creed has always been kind of a big, a big deal as far as unity. And so we, we kind of, we kind of say that before um, kind of moving into, it's more in the liturgy of the Eucharist, um, kind of close to the Our Father um, is where we're going to see that. Um, so, um, and we're going to obviously, you know, Father Paul's going to bring a little bit more in depth questions. I'm probably going to bring sure. a little bit more stupid questions, things like that. But I mean, somebody says to you, Jack, hey, yeah. what religion are you? I mean, is the first word Catholic or do you actually distinguish and say, I'm Byzantine Catholic? Um, it kind of, yeah, it kind of depends on the, the context. I generally say that I'm Catholic because it, that is a, I mean, um, you know, the Byzantine Catholic churches, the only real difference between us and the Orthodox churches is that who we're in communion with, we're in communion with the Catholic church. And so for me, that's a very important thing to, to let people know that I am, that I am a Catholic uh, Christian. Um, but, but I'm also, usually when I'm talking to Catholics, I'll, I'll tend to distinguish a little bit more and say, hey, you know, yeah, I belong to the Byzantine Catholic church, um, mostly because I want people to know about it. I think it's important for us to yeah. Um, you know, have a mutual understanding. John Paul II talked a lot about that. He talked about the the church breathing with both lungs and how we should have kind of an understanding of each other's traditions. Um, and so I think that's important. So I would say it kind of depends on the audience, but I always do let people know that I'm Catholic. I think that's important. JP too. Yeah. We, <laughs> Joey, Joey's obsessed with JP too. I quote him a lot. And then Father Paul's like, I think Jesus said that, you yeah. know, something, yeah, be something not like that. Yeah. Um. Okay. He said it in an encyclical. He may have been quoting did Jesus, say it a lot. but whatever. Um, Jack, uh, to, to the point you just made, um, yeah. I think it, it is just like the awareness of the existence and of the, the beauty and the treasure um, mm-hmm. of the liturgies of the Eastern churches. Um, are, are something that we really want people to know about. Um, I, many people don't know because I say that I'm not on social media, which is mostly true. Yeah. I do have one Facebook friend and my one Facebook friend is actually Jack's church. <laughs> and, All right. Um, and like on their Facebook feed, they've been live streaming. I assume that that's a COVID thing. Um, that y'all didn't have before, but like you no, can we go ac- there. We actually did have it before. Oh, you did. Um, <laughs> yeah, ah, nice. we were, but I don't remember why. I think there were just a few people that um, 
the thing is that with an Eastern Catholic church, you have a lot of parishioners that are spread out. Right. Right. So we'll have people that are like members and they live in, I'm in San Antonio, but maybe they live in New Braunfels or maybe they live mm. somewhere else. And their, their, their canonical membership in the Catholic church is an Eastern Catholic church. And so they usually register with us mm-hmm. and uh, they'll go to the, receive the sacraments at a local Roman parish, but it's nice to also have that option to live stream. So we've always kind of done that. Uh, so we were kind of in a good spot when COVID hit because we'd already, <laughs> you, you guys were prepared. ahead of the times. Yeah, we nice. Were, we were ahead, of the, ahead of the curve there. But I like, mean, that um, would be a great way for people who are listening now to learn more about like absolutely. they're, they're going to hear about the similarities and differences but if you want to plug y'all's yeah. facebook page at any time um, yeah, absolutely just uh um yeah and yeah. just just thinking about differences um you know I, I think that the the basically all the sacraments uh we have the kind of this if you look at the roman catholic church and you look at the eastern catholic church and you kind of put the sacraments side by side you'll see the same ideas and generally the same uh types of things involved, but there will, be, there will be differences that will be noticeable. I think for us, um, we use, in our Eucharist, we use leavened bread. That's mm-hmm. usually the one that's uh, kind of big, kind of a big notable difference is, uh, and, and we put it in a chalice with, uh, with the wine, and the wine, they add uh, warm, uh, actually boiling water to it. So when you, when you receive the Eucharist, it's kind of warm and it's leavened bread, and the whole idea there is that it's, it's living. So you have like the, the bread that's um, that's uh, leavened, so it's mm-hmm. it's risen, it's it's alive to an extent, and then you have this uh, the kind of the warmer. Uh, so that's that's one of the things. That usually, when people come to my church and they t- receive the Eucharist, they come by after and they say it was warm, and they're kind of surprised. <laughs> it's it's not something that you're usually going to get. Um, yeah, why don't we have that? In. Come on, <laughs> Father Paul. We refrigerate everything. Oh gosh. <laughs> so yeah. going into that, like you just said, so yeah. how is that reception of Holy Communion done? Yeah, so in the um, in most of the Byzantine rite churches, um, there's there's one or two that use intinction, uh, where they take the bread and they you know they dip it and they give it to you, um, like they would. I think that happens in the Roman Catholic Church from time to time Sometimes, as well. Yeah. But uh, most of most of the time, it's in a chalice. So there's there's kind of this chalice, and um, the priest, um, what he'll do is there's like a, a a loaf of bread that's prepared before, and uh, it's prepared in a very particular way. Um, and uh, there's kind of this whole preparatory rite, but it, but the, the bread itself, there's kind of a square that they cut out of the middle, and then uh, this is known as the lamb, and this is cut up into small pieces. It's put into the chalice, and then the uh, where the consecrated, uh, I guess, wine is, and, and the water, and then it's commingled there, and then from there, they on a spoon, you'll receive it in your mouth, um, and that's kind of that's that's how it's distributed, um, nice typically. I noticed kind of that difference, right, with all, that's kind of what you're talking about with the sacraments, that there's, mm-hmm. you know, similarities, but some of those ways of reception or, for example, you guys do confirmation at uh, at baptism or at... Uh, yes, yeah. yes. Um, um, yeah, go into that a little bit. Yeah, so um, actually I, I looked at the catechism like right before we were talking because I was trying to... The catechism does a great job of like basically every single sacrament, it'll say like, this is what we believe. And then this is what the tradition of the Latin church is. And this is the generally held Eastern tradition. And it'll point out like why that is. So with, with uh, we call it chrismation because uh, we use chrism, but it's the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the main thing. It's the same thing um, that you would, that, that's happening in the, in the West. But in the East, it's always done 
right after baptism. And it's to kind of, because it's a sacrament of initiation and it's, it's to kind of em- emphasize the, the unity of those two sacraments, how they come together. Like mm-hmm. when you perceive those two, you're fully initiated in the church. And we kind of, that's kind of what the emphasis is. The catechism says in the, in the West, the emphasis is a little bit more, uh, the confirmation is delayed a little bit because the, the bishop is the ordinary minister of that sacrament. Right. And there's this kind of connection to you, the faithful, and the bishop that, that you kind of also experience in the sacrament. So it's just a little bit different emphasis I guess you could say, because for us, the priests always are the ones confirming. They're always the ones that are doing the, the chrismations uh, in the parishes. Um, now, as a youth minister, I have to ask, because most people, uh, so personally, I am for that, um, it, sure. it, restored order, all of that. Um, most people, though, would say to me, as a youth minister, they would say, well, but Jack, how are your, if we don't have this carrot to string along for your children— to say, hey, but they have to make their sacraments and do this. How are we going to keep them around the church and the faith and that? But yet, I'm sure you and your friends and those who go to your church, like, there's children around, correct? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, what do you, what would you say back to them? Well, um, so I don't I don't know if I mentioned this or not, or if this is known, but we also give infants communion. So mm-hmm. right after um, our... Uh, right after they're chrismated, we don't really have a first communion, right? But uh, we, what happens is the newly baptized are typically the traditions that they're, they're the first to be admitted uh, to communion for the next 40 days. There's, I can't remember if it's 40 or 50, how we oh, do wow. it. Uh, I think it's usually all of uh, Easter tide mm-hmm. because we're usually uh, doing that during Easter. That's but, so cool. Yeah. So we always, the, the newly illuminated, what we call them, or the, the, the newly received into the church will go and they'll receive communion first. And uh, I guess my answer to that, to that kind of thought process would be, well, you know, when you when you put the when you're immediately engaging these kids, they're growing up and they're participating in the fullness of the liturgical life, and so they don't they don't have this um, they immediately feel included, and uh, kids are a big part of of the liturgy. Uh, at, before COVID, we kind of had this little parish tradition um, where during the gospel reading, the kids would all go to and stand in front of the book, the, of the, the gospel book, and they would kind of listen, and they kind of had this privileged place, um, kind of in reference to the, you know, let the little ones come to me, that kind right. of biblical um, emphasis. And so I think there's all these little ways that you can get children involved in the liturgy, mm. and catechesis is important, but um, does it need to be a, 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 you know, a carrot or something of this nature? I don't, I don't know that, that that's really that effective. Maybe it is in some context, but I think in our context, um, it would be a little bit unnatural. Yeah, no, I don't think it is. I think you're right on. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I wanted either really young or really late because right now yeah. in the Diocese of Dallas, we have it in eighth grade, and I won't bore you too long with that. But um, <laughs> so I have another question, but you look like you wanted to say something. This is also kind of nice, Jack. I just want to toss out. It's nice talking yeah. to you because you don't ramble on for really long with answers going like 30, 40 minutes. And then we're like, Oh, we've just gone over the bowing at the altar for the mass part one. Yeah. We didn't make it into to the sign of the cross uh, for the first episode. I, I think the thing is, I think Jack could though. He's just, he's got self-control. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Like I, I can, I, I can like hear Jack. it in his answers. He totally could just go for like forty minutes on any one of these. My my deep and profound question that I have for you right now is, mm-hmm. um, 
the thuribles, the thing that you incense with in the mm-hmm. East, the ones I've seen always have bells on them. And I think that's oh, yeah. awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. I want one. 12, 12 <laughs> bells. 12 bells. It's pretty, it's pretty the cool. There's, apostles there's 12 or? bells for the 12 apostles, and there's one that doesn't ring. Ah. And that's, like that, that. that represents uh, Judas. Yeah. The one that doesn't. There's, there's a thing like that in, in Coptic churches, actually. They have 12 mm-hmm. pillars in the nave, and there's oh, wow. one that is a different color. Um, ah. Like the. At, at least I, I got to go to Egypt to Cairo one time, and this this Coptic Christian was explaining things, and and I think all of them were were like this sort of kind of white marble, and then there was there was one that was like very different, like violet or or much oh, wow. darker. Um, That's awesome. But, now is there? Oh, go ahead. But yeah, so anyway, y'all's thurbles are awesome, and I have I have thurible envy. <laughs> and I love what you mentioned. Thurible envy. <laughs> the symbolism. See what I did there? Okay. The twelve bells, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Like it seems like everything has specific symbols with it, and it's very, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's this. Um, I mean, our, our churches are they're designed in a very particular way, um, and there's there's a lot of. I mean, iconography is a huge part of our tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very specific way of representing, um, I guess, liturgical art, and um, it's it's all very catechetical in nature, and it's also there's a very specific kind of design and thought process behind it. I, I don't know a whole lot about iconography, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of do know, you know, generally when you walk into a church, you're going to see uh, Christ enthroned on one side and you're going to see the Virgin Mary holding Christ in the other. And then right. you'll see John the Baptist and the patron saint of the church. Those are kind of like things that are always going to be in there. And then there's, depending on how elaborate the church is, you'll see, you'll see kind of different, um, you know, different other icons and things, but um the the images are certainly a huge part of our of our tradition, and kids like them too. Kids tend to get distracted by them and kind of look around, and it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch them, um, kind of take that in. So, Jack, you mentioned um, using the leavened bread. Yes. So, does that mean at every liturgy, um, mm-hmm. right, or is it still termed the mass? Or no, the liturgy. You can say mass. We call it divine liturgy. Okay, but, divine I mean, liturgy. It, yeah, you can call it either so one. So at, at each divine liturgy, um, mm-hmm. which I guess sub-question one is, how many divine liturgies per Sunday do you all have? And then second question is, is the leavened bread then consumed all at once, or is there a tabernacle similar to what the Roman rite experiences? Because it seems yes. like we <laughs> consecrate a bunch of hosts, you know, and then have kind of a surplus and that we're mm-hmm. using throughout the week and that, but I would be curious how that works with your, your guys' experience. Right. So one, how many divine liturgies Two, how does that work with the love and bread? Sure. Um, typically speaking, you have one divine liturgy at a parish. That's typically what happens. Um, there are some places that will have a vigil divine liturgy. Uh, they'll have one on Saturday evening. Uh, and that's usually nine times out of 10 going to be combined with Vespers. Yeah. Although that's kind of a recent thing. It's not, that's not really typical in most Byzantine churches. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this huge, like, so after, first of all, divine liturgies are, they take a little bit of time. They're not, you're not going to be able to really just come in and leave in an hour. Um, it's going to be, you're going to start, I mean, every divine liturgy that I have on a Sunday that I go to is usually about an hour and 15 minutes on a, on a typical Sunday. Um, de- there's, they're, they're longer kind of depending, but so there's that. 
And so after that, um, at least before COVID, COVID's kind of, you know, done a lot of things to a lot of people. But in our particular case, we used to really have a, we have a big focus on community meals afterwards. So we oh, were like, wow. after the divine liturgy, we'll have a potluck or we'll have some kind of coffee hour or something. And the people in the parish kind of get together and then there's faith formation or what have you. So Sunday is kind of really an event. Like you're going to go and you're going to be there. And so that's typically what I tell people when they visit, like be ready to receive some type of hospitality because when you walk in the door, people are going to greet you because it's a small group of people. It's very tight knit and people like to share about it because it is something that's unique. It is something that's different. And um, that's kind of one of the things that, that, that I think we do and we do well. Um, sometimes you'll have, uh, we have a lot of other services. So the divine liturgy is important to us. Uh, and it's, it's like the pinnacle. It's like the summit of kind of what we, of what we do, but there, we have a lot of other services. Um, the, the liturgy of the hours is, is really important um, in our tradition. So usually you're going to have like Vespers, um, you're going to have Orthros is what we call Matins. It's kind of like Matins and Lauds mm. put together. Yeah, and in a, in, a, in a big parish, not all parishes are really big enough to have all these services because um, kind of the, the, the needs for clergy and things. I mean, there's just, there's kind of a lot that goes into it. But at a typical parish, you're going to have the one divine liturgy on Sunday. You're probably going to have a Vespers on a Saturday evening and then maybe a Vespers during the week. Or during Lent, for example, like uh, we had the Liturgy of the Presanctified Gifts, which is um, a communion service that we do. is very similar to the one that, that I think is done on Good Friday, Good Friday in yeah. the Roman Catholic tradition. We do that every Wednesday during Lent. So during Lent, we only we only have like a, a divine liturgy on a Sunday, or I think I think Saturdays as well. But during the um, during the week, we actually we we don't consecrate the Eucharist because we, we, the consecration has a very strong connection to the resurrection mm -hmm. and in our tradition. And so um, we do have communion, but it's pre-sanctified. So that on Sunday, um, the, the priest would consecrate uh, additional and then it would be reserved. And we do have a tabernacle, uh, Joey, we do have a tabernacle, but it's okay. usually, we typically don't reserve the sacrament outside of Lent. So it's usually consumed on Sundays. Got it. Um, and then we have a place, but we do have a place that we always store a, a, a small amount of reserve sacrament for communing the sick and for that sort mm. of thing. Um, okay. Usually we have other services too. Like we have um, Akathist hymn. We have, we have all these different kinds of devotions and I, I'm not going to really dive into that right now, but um, there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities for prayer outside of the divine liturgy that our, that our parishes would offer. The Akathist hymn is really beautiful by the way. So for somebody who doesn't know anything y'all are talking about, go ahead. Yeah. So the activist hymn is this... Um, <laughs> Not the spelling. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it's been likened to the rosary. Um, it, it's, it's a Marian devotion that we, we, that's, we really focus on it during Lent leading up to the Annunciation. Mm. It's kind of like this preparatory, and it kind of goes through different parts of um, Mary's life and consequently the life of Jesus as well, and kind of kind of focuses on on that in a particular way. And um, so we have basically in, in every fasting season, so like during Lent, during uh, Nativity Fast, Advent is what we would call, we would call it the Nativity Fast, but it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. We mm -hmm. have these particular devotions that we usually focus on in the, in the church and um, that we come together to pray. Awesome. I, I had one quick follow-up as well. So yeah, you said sure. the liturgy of the pre-sanctified during Lent mm -hmm. and that's also the same thing as the liturgy of St. Gregory the Great? Yes. Something like so that? It's a like you have to different, the Pope of Rome. different yeah. liturgies 
within the Byzantine tradition, and then that yes. one actually. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so we have like two divine liturgies or two masses that we would say basically like so we have the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom and the liturgy of Saint Basil, mm-hmm. and the or Basil rather, I'm sorry, Saint Basil. Um, I always say Basil. I don't know why, but it's. it's I do too. I don't know why either. I think Brazilians and Houston. It's some people. I don't know. (laughs) Me too. Uh, But (laughs) yes, I actually got corrected for this on Sunday. I was saying Basil over and over. (laughs) It's Basil. So um, Saint Saint Basil the Great. We have his liturgy, Saint John Chrysostom, and then there's the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts, which is uh, Pope Saint Gregory's liturgy Hmm. that ended up in the East and kind of took its own shape. Mm-hmm. So um, even though we're Eastern, we do have a, you know, actually one of our liturgies is attributed to uh, the Pope of Rome. So that's an interesting uh, connection there. Um, I, uh, real quick, I had a moment uh, in my homily last weekend. I was talking about uh, I was talking about the resurrection. I was talking about sort of Holy Saturday theology and mm-hmm. stuff. And I referenced at one point this icon. I think it's kind of like a contemporary style icon at this church, St. George's Orthodox Church in Toronto. And it has, the the reason I referenced it is because at the Casa Santa Maria, where I lived in Rome as a priest, we had an Eastern chapel and I saw that same icon there. Um, Which one was it? It's it's called Anastasis and it's got Christ. He's standing in like the the almond of of light um, and the mandorla and he is... uh, Pulling Adam and Eve each out by one oh, hand. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, This is yeah. That's um. That's a very that, that's that's the, the the resurrection. I think it's also known as the the, the descent into Hades or, or yeah. something along that line. But, yeah. Yeah. It's it's Christ literally pulling Adam and Eve up. Um. It's it's awesome icon. It's like it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I went when I looked up. I was like, I want to reference, give a reference for people to find this. And I was reading about. Holy Saturday in a book, and anyway, long story, but the image there was cited as being from St. George's Orthodox Church in Toronto, but oh. when I referenced it at Mass, I was like, St. starts with a G, Gregory the Great, um, <laughs> and then I was like, hmm, yeah, what kind of Orthodox Church would be called St. Gregory the Great, but then I was like, oh, wait, actually St. Gregory the Great with the liturgy of the pre-sanctified, yeah. and all right, we're all good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's still not the right church, St. George, anyway. <laughs> So, so all those long, who were confusing at mass, story. Thank yeah. you. Um, so I'm wondering, Jack, somebody who is like primarily the Roman rite. Let's just use myself for example. Sure. Um, you know, grew up Roman rite and in the Northeast, cultural Catholic. You know, uh, grew up um, Italian, and it's just like, well, we're Catholic, and this is what we are. And so, let's just say, not even living the Roman rite that great. Okay. Um, how would you introduce the kind of Byzantine rite to somebody like that? Slash, would it be appropriate to take them and come see it? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, this it happens all the time. People just wander into church and they 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 just wander in and they want to know what. Okay, this is a Catholic church. You know, one of your masses or whatever. And I've talked to people several times. They just kind of wandered in and wanted to know what, what's going on. And uh, usually what what I really try to do is what I think anyone in any right of the church should do and, and just welcome people in and, and 
tell them about Christ, tell them about Jesus, you know, and, mm. and people will, people will start to see things and there's, it, it can be tempting to want to like really share it out and tell people things and kind of, you feel like you're educating them or teaching them. But uh, I think that the liturgy in any right kind of speaks for itself. I mean, obviously something is happening here with, I mean, people are all, they're looking at the altar. Uh, there's the gifts, there's, there's reverencing going on. It might be kneeling, it might be standing, it might be bowing. Um, but I, I think really what I always say is just come and see, walk in and see. And then if you have any questions, let me know. And usually people will kind of, will kind of open up, but uh, it would certainly be appropriate to invite someone. Um, if it was somebody a little bit more knowledgeable, I might kind of delve into the differences and things. But um, usually the first thing I do is I just point out the icon of Jesus and the icon of Mary. And I just kind of say, hey, this is mm-hmm. Jesus and, and this is Mary, your mother. And, um, you know, you're welcome here anytime. And that's kind of where I go. I usually don't try to dive in any real explanation until people kind of ask. Cause I think, I think that's the best way. Come and see is kind of the, the approach. That's awesome. And you have, uh, how many kids? I have one. I'm expecting an, another one. Oh, uh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. congratulations. When, when, uh, when is your wife due? Um, she's going to be due, uh, around the end of June. Okay. So. We'll definitely, do you know boy or yeah. girl? Um, we, we were told it's a girl, but it was supposedly supposedly it was like a week earlier than they normally tell you. So they told us to come back to verify, but we're, we're, we're saying it's a girl. <laughs> so maybe yeah. a girl. That's awesome. <laughs> That's what we're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so another than hypothetical question, yeah. we're going a little bit longer today on our question edition. If sure. you all are joining us because we have an expert on the Byzantine, right, Jack? And um, so say you're so sorry, you're you're child your first child is a boy or girl boy boy okay what's his name james james so james say james is 18 years old says dad i really i like the roman right better that's kind of what i want to do is that allowed like is he sure and what does that look like does he have to do anything um no (laughs) he can just (laughs) go worship at a roman church i mean there is a legal way that you can have your right officially changed. Mm. Um, but it's, it's not, so it's just one of these things where the, the way the canon law is written, um, in my understanding of it, uh, Father Paul might correct me or verify this, but um, so you're a Roman Catholic, Joey, and, and I'm a, I'm a Byzantine Catholic, but I can go register at any parish that I want to, and I can worship and I can follow that right. I'm not like, I'm not like bound to follow a particular right. I, I love the right that I, I grew up in. I kind of grew up actually between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's from an, an Italian Catholic family, kind of like, kind of like you, uh, Joey. Nice. And so I, I was always kind of, you know, I grew up kind of knowing both. And um, there was a time where I went to, I did that. I went to a Roman church. I wanted to follow the Roman right. And I did it for a little while. And then uh, later on, I, I found a Byzantine church that I really loved when I moved to Houston. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, rediscovered it and, and really got into it. But I think that, you know, my, my personal uh, opinion here is just wherever you can live the faith, that's where you need to be. And mm. so um, if, if it's, if somebody wants to go finds that they're, if one of, one of my children finds they're enriched by the Latin writing in a particular way, that's, you know, they're, they're growing closer to Christ and that's all I really care about. And I think that's, that's what unity is supposed to be about, right? That's part of the reason that these different rights exist is because we're supposed to evangelize and grow the church. And so mm-hmm. um, if the Roman rights doing that better, then go for it. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever you need to do. So what would be the purpose then of the official process? 
Um, if you wanted to be a priest or if you want to get married in another church to, or like, so um, in our tradition, we have married priests. Um, and I was so, going to bring that up. Um, yeah. So, you know. so what, one of the things that, so like if, if you're going to be a priest or a deacon or like some type of clergy, you typically have to belong to that right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so for ordination, so like um, let's say I weren't married and, and I decided that I wanted to be, um, a Roman Catholic priest, I would have to petition my bishop um, when, it, when it came time for me to be ordained, and he would have to give permission because I, uh, the canon law, I think the canon law calls it, you're a subject of that particular church. Mm-hmm. And so I would have to be, I would have to complete an official change of church. And so sometimes you'll see that, um, or when you get married. So like when my wife and I got married, I had the option to become a Roman Catholic, and she had the option to become a Byzantine Catholic officially. Um, and that also affects like your kids. So the kids typically, well, I think it gets a little fuzzy, but in, at least in the Byzantine rite, the kids follow the rite of the father. So even though my wife, my wife's actually officially uh, a Roman Catholic, we, neither of us changed, but she goes to, she goes to our church. We worship together as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, uh, our kids will be Byzantine because I'm Byzantine. Um, and so that's kind of, it, it, it just depends on the, those, those types of things. And, and really it's the, Mainly, it's important when you become a priest, or if you're to enter a monastery, or something like that. I mean, that's really when it when it matters. Um, but most of the time, people say, "I want to become Byzantine." I'm like, "Okay, well, you really don't have to. You can just come to Byzantine church, or if you want to become Roman, you just go to a Roman church." That's kind of how. I mean, I think it. That's all you really need to do. Yeah. So I think this is confusing for people, and I kind of direct us to Father Paul and Jack. You can jump in with comments as well. But sure. I feel like Roman um, rite priests have a kind of very nice um, comeback to why priests shouldn't be married. But then, you know, we're— Because Jesus? Yeah, like because of Jesus and, you know, giving to the life of the church. What if, you know, my son was ill and I had to run out and I have oh, the, the sacraments and, yeah. you know, practicals, different things like that. Um, so how do you reconcile that? Mm. Someone, you know, where yeah, a, you could be going there and, like, do you not feel a little bit, I don't know, not hurt is the right word, but— um, angered by it they'd be like well they can do that but i can't maybe i should have done that right now and no, i should say if i did read correctly bishops still cannot be yeah so yeah. bishops bishops are the thing is that the, the universal church holds celibacy in very high esteem it doesn't matter what right. right you're part of like in the byzantine right we would say that like you know someone who who lives that life of celibacy definitely there's a very particular uh respect that that you know that's they're doing that for the sake of the kingdom, and that's that's awesome. And we see that as a higher calling, I mean, objectively speaking, I, I suppose you could say. Um, but the way that our parish life and our piety kind of has developed over the centuries, I think, is a little different. So I mentioned earlier, like, um, the daily masses isn't really a part of our spirituality. I mean, it's the mass is like the, the pinnacle and like what we do, like, at certain times to really, you know, celebrate, celebrate our faith. But... Um, we, I think there's just different ways that we've developed and we kind of have these emphasis on different things. And mm-hmm. um, I think that, uh, you know, I don't really have a, I guess, a, a clear answer as to whether or not or, or, or why that is that we have married priests. But I, I think it's basically was the early tradition and then it just never developed any other way. Um, I think in the West at some point there were married priests, were there not? 
while they're yeah. is that was that correct? Yeah, it was just a there's a a really good book I was just looking at the other day. Um, because in a in our gospel in the the Latin liturgy from this this last weekend, um, the uh, the gospel is the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, and so if Simon mm-hmm. has if Simon Peter has a mother-in-law, that means you know he yeah. also has a wife. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I was reading up on on that a little bit. Uh, it's called the Apostolic Origins of Celibacy. Celibacy, uh, really good book, kind of dense, um, but <laughs> it it was talking about the the tradition of sort of the unanimous interpretation of the fathers, both East and West, on passages like this mm-hmm. um, and on places where Scripture doesn't doesn't give us as many details as we'd like, that like a lot of the apostles were married and there was also this sense that like they left everything to follow Christ when they were called. Um, mm-hmm. And so in the Gospel of Luke, for instance, you have Peter saying, have we not left everything for you and he lists stuff, including wife and children. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the the origins of celibacy as this, uh, this, this calling that one receives, uh, particularly in the East in the religious life, like monks are celibate, and it's normally from, from them that bishops, who are the successors of the apostles, uh, will be mm-hmm. chosen. So continuing that, that sort of th- thing that, like, you can... You can see both in the history, um, both this yeah. both this call from Christ uh, for those to uh, another passage that he points to um, is uh, when he starts talking about there are some who are born eunuchs that is unable to be married and and bear children um, and procreate some some that are born that way some others that are made that way and some that like choose that way for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and so like there, he's again talking about this, mm-hmm. this tradition of celibacy. And I would have, I would have, uh, given like basically the same answer you did, uh, just there that like in all the documents and everything, celibacy is always held up as this, as this real treasure for the church. But Absolutely. that doesn't mean that there's not like, um, I don't know, a, a whole sort of flowering of, of devotion and of, of meeting particular needs of communities uh, like you mm-hmm. see with the the married parish priests in the east um, yeah uh, and I think your your answer about like the the sort of needs of the parish is important as well because um, so <laughs> I, I don't think St. Anne is a very big church where I'm assigned right now. It's very big. It's yeah. very busy. There's lots of things all the time. But I think that's basically true of any Latin right church. Like the, the expectations uh, that come f- out of that tradition of celibacy would really, just practically speaking, not make it a just thing for me to have a family with children because I would be neglecting yeah. either them or the parish. And mm-hmm. so like for that for that sort of model to exist, uh, like the whole thing has to be there. Also the expectations of the people and also sort of the liturgical traditions and the needs of the the parish community and, and all that. I think that's a, a good way that you answered it. Um, but yeah, I've 
you know, cool. gone on and forgotten what Joey asked in the first place. So. Yeah. You, you know, that's usually the case when we find that with our questions is we don't really ever answer them. <laughs> and then also, um, yeah, we just talk for a long time. So I know we're going on a while now. So I don't know. Any closing comments, Jack, that you have? I mean, we're grateful that you took time. Second, that it was like late at night. You found a time for us to do this. We made you neglect your family and and children. (laughs) So we apologize for that. But um, I don't know. Any any closing comments? Um, I would just encourage people to, uh, I mean, first of all, I think it's really great that you guys are doing this. I think it's great that you're encouraging people to kind of know about the other traditions of the church. I know that you guys have several churches up there in Dallas that I think are awesome. I would encourage your... uh, your parishioners to just go check it out one Sunday. I know you, I think you've got, I know you have St. Basil the Great in Irving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know, I think St. Sophia is the Ukrainian church up there. I've never been to that one. Um, I know you mentioned a Maronite uh, right church yeah. here as well. Yeah, um, Our Lady I, of I, Lebanon. Absolutely. I, I think I have been to that. I think I went there for Christmas one year um, mm-hmm. when my sister was living up there in Dallas. So um, I would absolutely say like, uh, you know, thanks for having me on. And I hope that your parishioners uh, get to go check out a divine liturgy at some point. Can I can I plug your Facebook page for your church? Uh, yeah, I think you can do that. All right, great. <laughs> so, if you uh, if you want to watch the live stream just to see, like, um, if you don't have a chance to go to the ones in Dallas or wherever you are where you're listening, you can go to the Facebook page uh, for Jack's um, church, which is Three Hierarchs Byzantine and Melkite Catholic Mission. <laughs> If you could spell it. <laughs> I'll say that again. Three Hierarchs, Byzantine, and Melkite Catholic Mission. Uh, and so, like, you can see this really beautiful mission church there. Um, yeah. All the right. three hierarchs are, are the three. It's John Chrysostom, uh, Basil the Great, and uh, Gregory the Theologian. They share a feast on January 30th, 30th so that's awesome. where that name comes from. Uh, it just um, happened. Uh yeah, it just happened. We we yeah. just became a mission, so we're like we're like a baby church. We just we just started. So, and I'm sure what's going to happen from this is people are going to have follow up questions because that's what they usually do. So we'll just rack those up, Jack. And what we'll do is we'll plan yeah. another one in six to eight months. Sure. Another super episode. Yeah, yeah. Good. Even though they'll be yeah. like, "Hey, just want to scratch the surface." No, we're gonna bring in we're gonna bring in the Byzantine <laughs> the expert. Sounds you know, good. all of here. So. Well, uh, Jack, we want to thank you again. Thank your family for giving us this time. Um, and uh, on behalf of Jack and Father Paul and Joey Scansella, uh, we want to say take care. God bless. All right.